a great influence in the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Psalm 19, verse 1. Some of you may have it memorized, I hope so. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows His handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament demonstrates and shows His handiwork constantly declaring His glory. Psalm 102, Psalm 102, verses 25, 6, and 7. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue and their descendants will be established before you. God's creation declares his glory. It is the result of his creativity, if you will. And uh, even after it would pass away or fold up like a blanket and be stored away or changed, God will endure. You, having given your life to Christ, will endure with him. And it's really good to see you. <laughs> Sneak that in. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, you know, the scriptures start out for us saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In verse 26, in the moment he's, he is creating us, mankind, <clears throat> excuse me, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. We're talking about biblical worldview or seeing the world via the truth of the scriptures. Seeing things the way God has created them to be and agreeing with him in the process. Having a biblical and scriptural worldview. There are plenty of other worldviews to have. But you and I need to operate from a biblical perspective and come in alignment with God. Now, God being a creative God, six days makes everything, and on the seventh day he rested. And in the process of creation, said he's going to make you and I in his image. Isn't it beautiful that God, the scriptures tell us that God fills all things, that he is greater than his own creation, and we can try and measure Even the galaxy that we're in, it's something like, what, 280 million light years across our galaxy? I mean, traveling at 186,000 miles a second for 280 million years, 
That's how distant it is across. And yet God is greater than that. How do you relate to a God like that? How do you touch him? How do you feel him? How do you understand him? Can you possibly comprehend him? And the answer really is no. But what did God do? God moved toward us and he said, I will become a man. We just celebrated Christmas. I will become like my creation. And he sent his one and only son, who was born in the manger, grew up to be the Savior, died on the cross, was buried, rose again from the dead to demonstrate that he has got, he, Jesus gave us the possibility of touching him, seeing him, interacting with God in a way that we're built like. That's the beauty of Jesus coming as the only begotten Son of God, is that we now can relate to this awesome God in a very personal way. That's why the extension is given to each one of us to accept Jesus as our Savior. He is, as he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. You can't dream up another way to have God. You can't dream up another way to comprehend the vastness of the Creator. He's given us the method, the bridge, the door. As Jesus called himself the shepherd, we come through him. We come through the Son of God. And give our hearts to Him and let Him enter our lives. That gives us this intimacy with this awesome God. So God is a creative God. And you're built in His image. And today we want to talk a little bit about the the spiritual, biblical worldview about labor and work. So let's take a look at what God has done in just six days. All right, Ed?
Would you agree God is very creative? Now here's the part you need to agree with again. You're made in His image. We look to the model. He's creative. What does that make you? Mm. You know, our biblical worldview shapes our beliefs. And then our beliefs dictate our actions. I mean, you get up on, on Monday morning, we'll assume work week starts on Monday tomorrow. You get up on Monday and you go, hallelujah. I am going. I am on my way to fulfill the creative side of what God has built me to be. Huh? Or are you one of those that says work is a four-letter word? And we know what that means. It's kind of like why they named golf, golf. Because all the other four-letter words were taken. (laughs) I have a growing concern in my heart, and sometimes I wonder if it doesn't come because I'm aging, getting older, hopefully wiser along the way, but I have a great growing concern for our culture. And uh, the responsibility that lies upon the church, upon the body of Christ, to be the salt and light in the earth that tempers society and draws the society to Christ. Think about it. We all talk about that day when the rapture comes and the church is taken up and out. And I'm not going to go theology here and try and debate before, after, in the middle or any of those things. I just want you to imagine with me that if today the church was taken out of the world, what would the world be like? Yeah, we begin to shake our heads and go, oh my goodness, it would be good to be gone. Because the treachery and the evil and the darkness and the the activity of the evil one would increase without any restriction. You and I as the salt and the light, meaning we're the body of Christ in the earth. Whether you realize it or not, your presence here is what tempers society and cultures. Your being here, the church being in the earth, is what causes uh, the presence and peace of God to be in the earth. And you and I are called to be creative like God. We're in His image. At the end, you saw there, and it says right in the Scriptures, it was just a recounting of the Scriptures of Genesis. God, when He finished, He said, I looked at it and it was very good. Not just good. Very good. Is God egocentric? Well, He can be if He wants to. Amen. (laughs) He's worthy of it. But our biblical worldview and our scriptural worldview of, of what work is and labor and why it exists will shape our actions. We'll either be those that get up on Monday and saying, Good morning, Lord. You've heard this. Or we'll get up saying, Good Lord, morning. You know, it's such a change. It's just a simple thing. But it's an attitude. It's a belief system that launches us. I remember a friend of mine told me once, he said, Vision. Vision is what I get out of bed for. It drives me. There's a desire in my heart to get up and release the creative nature of God in me and let it go to work. If your work is just a mundane job, maybe you've helped make it that way. Maybe you've looked at it incorrectly. Maybe you've taken on, because we're talking about a scriptural worldview, wouldn't there be an opposing worldview? And this is what we're talking about, the cosmic battle. Constantly trying to hold on to what God says is true. 
versus what the world gives us as a counter. It says it's a counter truth, but it's literally a lie. And we can accept the lie when we get up on Monday morning if we want to. We can go down to, to the work or we can go down as the boss and gather our employees and infect them with a wrong biblical attitude. Right? Or an unbiblical attitude, excuse me. We can go down and infect them and say, you know, you, this, your, your work is bad, you're, you're not creative, you're not, you know, we can speak death into them or we can speak life. We can go and be creative. I, I look around this room and it'd be so easy to just start picking on people about how creative you are and how, how uh, able you are to solve problems in your jobs. I wish I could be with you from time to time in your job and watch you work and, and catch you being creative. Catch you doing the simple thing that you seem to take on as in stride. But what it is, it's that nature and creativity of God that's in you. Hey, let's take it to the home. Homemakers, I mean, they got the toughest job on the earth, right? And, uh, you know, you're making something and you run out of an ingredient. And what do you do? You get creative. Right? You say, hey, well, and, and you begin to go through the cupboards in your mind or you begin to go through the, the, what your available stock looks like and, uh, and you find the cream of celery soup because, you, because your husband ate the cream of mushroom and you needed that for what you were going to make for Christmas Day. And you go, uh-oh, we don't have any. So you grab, you find the other thing. And you, it's a simple, creative moment. Look at the builders in the room. And how many times have you come against that one moment where you built all the way to the end of something, you laid out your plan and you got there and there, and when you got to the corner or the edge or whatever it was, it was off. <laughs> You've been there, huh? And you said, what am I going to do now? And you get creative. That part of you begins to roll through the, the equations. Work. Where could it have gone wrong? Has it really gone wrong? What's the underlying foundational issue here? What am I going to do? Can I back up? Or can I just shave a little off and make it fit? Simple things. But we're made in His image and we do it all the time. And work, labor if you will, should be seen. Ready? Hold on. Fasten your little seatbelt. Work should be seen as a privilege. An opportunity. That's the day you get to go out and show off God and how He made you. That's the moment when you begin to lay your hand to the plow, so to speak, whatever your plow happens to look like, and say, this is the day God has made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. And what's going to come through me today is going to be His creativity. And it all is to bring Him glory. If you're in a cell group, one of our lighthouses, you'll see this video again this week, if, or maybe you've already seen it on the, on the next uh, segment of the Truth Project. But there's a little truth, uh, a little fact that is given in the Truth Project that I'll share with you right now, and that is that Bach, when he would write his symphonies or his musical pieces, at the very end of the score, down on the last page, he would put S-D-G, little letters. If you're a musician, you might know what that stands for. But those of us who may be unskilled with reading music would say, well, that's a rest and that's a note and that's a this and that's a... But what does SDG stand for? And it stood for Sola Deo Gloria. All for God's glory. This has only been done 
for the glory of God. Do you look at your work that way at the end of your day when 5 o'clock hits or whatever time it is you get off at the end of your shift? You think as you're walking out, S-D-G. Today was my day to bring glory to God. Does it stop? By the way, I should say this to this class today. Does it stop when you retire? No. You don't just quit being creative. It just shifts gears, changes lanes, begins to do things differently. God saw that it was very, very good. Ephesians chapter 6. Paul writing to the Ephesians church, giving them some practical instructions toward the end of his little letter. <coughs> After he's qualified who he is as an apostle, and he's given scriptural instruction on theology and perspective, at the end, in chapter 6, he begins to say this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. And so he begins to give practical family instruction. And then he gives us this in verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters. Who's he talking to? What's a bond servant? Does that apply today? Yeah, it's a worker. It's somebody who has a boss. Anybody have a boss? Anybody have an employer? Are they different? <laughs> okay. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to who? Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Wait a minute. The, my work, my bondservantness is the will of God? Do you look at it that way? Hey, I'm going out to do the will of God today. Or I'm staying in to do the will of God today. I'm going to pick up the phone or I'm going to get online or I'm going to be on my computer. Whatever it is I do, I'm going to do it because I'm doing the will of God for my life today. And do it from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters. Oh, now we're talking to the bosses. The employers. Do the same things to them. That is your servants or your workers. Giving up threatening. Knowing that your own master, capital M, also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Turn over just a couple of small letters to Colossians, where we hear Paul again writing to another group, similar instructions. Where in chapter 3, verse 17 of Colossians, he says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I've told the story before, and this goes back a long time ago. When I was young. <laughs> First getting into the working world, kind of during the school years. And I worked at a little liquor store in Mini Mart kind of place here in town in Big Bear Lake. And, and I knew that God had given me the job. But part of my job was dusting off all the liquor bottles every day. 
so that they would look pretty and be sold. And I would, and I really kind of despised that, right? Because it didn't fit my biblical worldview. I didn't think that selling this and the people that would come in and buy it were not looking too good to me. You know, and I thought, they don't need this, and it's not helping, and it's against what I believe in, but it's my job. And so I had a boss. And so I used to take my little feather duster and go in front of all these shelves, and I would just sing worship songs to Jesus while I was dusting the bottles. And I'd say, now in the name of Jesus, you guys aren't going anywhere. So you're going to stay right here. You're going to look real good, but you're not going anywhere. I, I bind you to the shelves in Jesus' name. And I would sing, and I'd... Worship it, I would do my work as unto the Lord. It was a work that if I was to promote that as work, I, I wouldn't be honoring God, I didn't think. And so I took an attitude from the scripture that said, this is my worldview. I'm supposed to be glorifying God in what I do. I should do a really good job of dusting these. I should make sure they're arranged just the way the boss wants them. And I should just worship Jesus and honor him as I'm doing it. And I was very successful in that job, so much so. That business dropped, and I got fired. I didn't get fired for a bad reason. There just wasn't any business. And the owner came and said, he said, you know, we're just not moving a lot of, this is where I make my money, and it's just not moving, so I can't keep you here. I said, praise the Lord. I wasn't working for you entirely anyway, was I? And promotion comes from the Lord. He keeps track of those things and he'll move you where he needs to put you. He'll give you promotion. He'll honor your heart toward him. And if there isn't even a job built yet that fits the creativity that God has put in you, he will build one and get you to it. Think of it. Can you find it in the Bible? Sure, we could run quickly to a guy named Joseph who sold off to, the, to Egypt by his brothers in a dastardly act, if you will, but yet in prison, became the ruler of the prison. As a prisoner, he was working as unto the one God whom he served. He did it as a worship and as a response to the creativity and who he was. And whenever he was given a task, he did exceptionally well at it, right? How about Daniel? Daniel was chosen to be one of those in the leader in, in captivity. And it was said about him that there was a, a better and a greater spirit in him than in all the others. And when they were tested for their wisdom, they were proven. He and the three Hebrew brothers there were seen as ten times better than all the rest of the trainees. Why? Because they kept faithful to one God and serving him out of a scriptural, if you will, worldview. They were honoring God with their work. Do it all in word or deed in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, I thank you for my job. I thank you that these bottles aren't going anywhere. And I bless you in Jesus' name. Be honored in my work today. Verse 22, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Let the creativity that God has built in you as part of His image be released and honor Him. Sola Deo Gloria.
There's another little verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. It's real simple, straight to the point. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. Do what you're here for. Do what God has given you to do. Let your work be an honor to Him and do it with all your might. I'm very visual, as you know. And i got to tell you that I'm seeing some of you on your jobs right now as I'm talking. And I really want to pick on you. But I'm not going to. Because I can see the truth of this word in your work. And I hope you'll see it too. That you won't get up on Monday saying, oh, man. I got Some people look at work as what I have to do to get to Friday. You know, TGIF, right? Which is what's on your socks. It means toes going first. <laughs> you know, they live with an attitude towards the weekend. Thank God it's Friday. Well, you know, on Wednesday it's called hump day. You, know, you get over the hump and make it to the weekend. What a bad attitude that is. That's looking at this and saying, God, you're creative, but I'm not. God, your word says I'm built in your image, but I detest going out and letting it happen. Ooh, not good. Every time we drive a nail or put in a screw or strum the thing or play the key or, or make a bottle for the baby... She's saying, God, I'm doing this for your glory. This is what you called me to do. This is my moment to shine. Nobody changes a diaper like me. <laughs> do it with all your might. Do it with your strength. Do it as a glory. I see some heads going, no. I'm not in that group. <laughs> Look at with me at Exodus uh, chapter 35. Maybe you can put yourself alongside these two fellows. Exodus chapter 35. My work is a privilege. My work is an opportunity. If I line it up correctly. You know, that on the DVD even, uh, Del Tackett demonstrates this in, in the Truth Project. So if you're in a cell, you'll see it this week. And I hope everybody will be there. Uh, or you, if, in fact, you're already done with 10, you've seen it. But... The moment where a couple of bosses are getting together, you know, they've, they've got their, their businesses going here in town and they say, hey, let's meet over Starbucks and have a cup of joe. And, and they get there and they sit down and one says to the other, hey, guess what happened for me this week? What? He says, man, I hired a Christian. Wow, no kidding. I wish I could get one. That's how it should be. Right? Why? Because Christians you can count on. They're going to show up early. They're going to go home late. They're going to give you their best because they're not serving you. They're serving God. They don't lie. They don't cheat. They're not going to steal you blind when you're not there. And when you leave, they actually work harder than when you're there. Because they're not men pleasers. They're obedient. They're, they're just. They're righteous. Man, you can count on them. And uh, you never have to worry. Or the other scenario might exist at the other Starbucks. Hey, guess what happened this week? I hired a Christian. And the other guy says, man, I'll never hire another one of those. Ooh, we should feel horrible about that. I've always thought this to be true, and is that any time an employer in the community was lacking a worker, 
that they would pick up the phone and call all the church offices first. You don't think that's true? They should. They should call and say, hey, listen, this is my thing. I fax it over to you. This is what I'm looking for. If you've got one of these in your church as a Christian, I sure could use them. And not just go shopping anywhere, but get specific. That happens in another way, by the way. This is maybe stepping out of line a little bit, but, you know, when guys want to get girls to marry them, where do they look? People are looking for a pure one down at the church. They go shopping where they know there's some good stuff. Okay, step aside. <laughs> Exodus 35. We're building the tabernacle now in the church. Uh, I mean, in the scripture here. Moses has made the tablets and we're, going to, we're getting the offerings ready. and We're going to build the tabernacle. And God's in charge in verse 30 of chapter 35, Exodus. Moses said to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding, in knowledge and all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting jewels for setting, in carving wood, and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach in him and Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do all manner of work of the engraver and, and the designer and the tapestry maker and fine linen, or excuse me, a tapestry maker in blue, purple, scarlet thread and in fine linen, and of the weaver, those who do every work and those whose design, who design artistic works. And Bezalel and Aholiab and every gifted artisan in whom the Lord had put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all manner of work for the service of the sanctuary shall do according to all that the Lord has commanded. And you could continue to read. And they finally, the artisans are saying, hey, could you tell the people to quit giving so much stuff? We got plenty to work with. Because the people were thrilled to give of their abundance to these artisans who were going to create and follow the design of God to build his tabernacle with all the little, you know, bells and pomegranates and all the, you know, knobs and hooks and all the crazy stuff that went into the tabernacle, the boards and the silver overlays, the gold and everything, and the wagons. I mean, they're going to make this happen. God says, I'm calling these by name because I've put in them wisdom and skill and ability. My creative design is in them in order to fulfill what I need done in my work. Do you look at yourself that way when you go to work? Say, God has put skill and wisdom and design in me so that I can actually fulfill what he's called me to do. You say, well, I don't think I've found what he's called me to do yet. I don't think I'm in my niche yet. Well, Joseph probably didn't think he was in his niche either when he was in prison. But he turned loose what was inside of him and applied it to the situation he was in. And then God handled the promotion in one day. Right? In one day, Joseph barely had enough time to take a shower and change his clothes and become the ruler of all of Egypt. From prison to second in command under Pharaoh, leader of a nation who saved not only the nation, but nations around him and literally saved his own family. How important is that? Well, that was the line of Christ. That was the family through which Jesus was going to come into the earth. And the saving of that family by this one man in the family was one of the most important acts we find in the Bible. 
How did it happen? He applied his heart in worship to God and serving God right where he was in prison. Wow. You may feel like you're in prison at your work. (laughs) Turn it around. You can turn it around. You can begin to see this is why I'm here. Look for those places in the day where you apply the creativity of God and you're just being there becomes an honest creativity moment and a glory for Him, whether it's touching another person, leading someone to Christ, influencing your co-workers. You are there for a reason. And when God's ready to promote you, He can if you are giving your heart to Him all the time. Here, I just see this as very, very descriptive that there are things in you that aren't in anybody else. And that God can take and put them where he wants them. Hmm. Could this be true? Am I telling you a story this morning? Am I just trying to inflate your ego? Or is it true? If it's true, then when you show up at work the very next time, it might even be this afternoon, you could change the way this thing upstairs works. Say, I'm not here For no reason. I'm here to demonstrate the presence of God. I think of some of you on your job and when you show up, do you know that darkness flees when you enter the building? You are the the demonstration of God in the earth. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. You're members, as we said earlier, in Uh, individually and in particular, God has got you there. And when you walk in, something happens that wouldn't happen if you weren't there. It ought to be good. (laughs) Don't you make it bad. And in all these things, Deuteronomy chapter 8, work and labor produces something more than just good feelings. I mean, it is the method by which everything is taken care of. It's the method by which everything is funded in our culture, in our society. This one works, there's pay, then he spends it over here, and that makes work for that person. It's what makes our society function, is when we go to work. And when we all go to work, and you know, we're coming into a a moment of, of a new administration in government, in fact, that has an attitude towards we're going to put everybody to work. That's good. Getting everybody to work is good. Because it releases every part of who we are. Deuteronomy 8.18 says in the process, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now I know I'm kind of proof texting or or I'm lifting a, a text out of its context. But the principle is there. We need to remember the Lord our God. It's He that gives us the power. The ability, the acumen, the skill, uh, the insight, the strength, the capacity, whatever you want to define. There's a lot of words that define this in the Hebrew language. It's all of those things. But He is the one that grants it to you. And when He gives it to you, you should remember Him. Honor Him. Worship Him. Give Him the glory. God, I could have never done this without you. I've told this story before. I shared it last night. I'll share it again this morning. And then you can pray for me. I'll get some new stories someday. Of the man, the Christian man on the job, and uh, I need to document this so that I can uh, give it to you really strong that way, but 
they, I think if somebody like Boeing had just built a new aircraft and they're in the process of trying to get another aircraft off the ground, they keep delaying its departure until next year because of some fastener problems. I don't know if you follow that kind of stuff or you see it in the news, but they got this great airplane. I'm, I'm just amazed that they can even get it off the ground. It's so big uh, that they want to get in the sky, but they can't because of bad fasteners on the plane, so they keep delaying the project into next year. But there was a story along the way where they had a, had a brand-new aircraft, just finished building it. They could not release it to fly because there was something wrong in the plane that nobody could find out how to fix. And they'd been from tip to tail on this plane numerous times looking at all the systems and all the wiring, everything in it, trying to find out why we can't use this aircraft. We can't get it to pass. And one of the supervisors said, hey, isn't Joe a Christian? The guy said, yeah, why? What's that got to do with anxious? Get him over here. Joe, listen, you're on the clock. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to go home. And for the next three days, man, we want you just to fast and pray. Ask God where the problem is. He went home, on the clock, for three days, fasted and prayed. Came back, walked into the plane, went down the aisle, went to a panel, opened the panel. There were two wires right here, and he just hooked them together and fixed the whole plane. Is that cool? But it took a believer to call upon the God of heaven who knew where the problem was to reveal it. But they didn't call the pagan. Hey, isn't Joe a pagan? I mean, isn't Joe a sinner? Isn't Joe out of touch with reality? Doesn't Joe still need to get saved? I mean, Joe, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on you, am I, Joe? I apologize. I just just kind of realized that. To change the name to any Larry's here. <laughs> pick a new name. I was picking on Kenny. Um, but the believer came through in the moment because the creative side of who he was, made in the image of God, was called upon by the world to fix the problem. And God can do that through you. And it happens a lot. I hope you'll open your eyes to it this week and go, oh, this is one of those moments. I just thought it was so simple. It seems so natural. It is natural. You're like him. And it flows out. You should be the one that's fixing all the problems at your job. And say, you know, going in and say, what's the biggest problem we got today? Give it to me. Let me see if I can get on it. And then just begin to pray and worship Jesus. Say, God, how can we get this fixed? And bless your employer with the repair. Now, I know that it's unfortunate for some of us. We've done that in the past and not been acknowledged for it. Or we've done something really that, and some companies actually give rewards to employees that do those things. You know, give how much money you can save the company. They give you a little check or bonus or something. But sometimes we've done it and we've been neglected by the very company we did it for. What do you do with that? Quit being creative. Hold up. Say, I'll never do that again. I'm not going to give them the blessing of God in me. No, you're not working for them. You're working for God. You're letting it happen because of who He is in you. You're releasing that moment and He will take care of the future. He will take care of the promotion. It's up to us to remember the Lord our God for it is He who gives us the ability to do whatever He's called us to do. And this says He gives you the ability to get wealth. Anybody got it yet? How many of you have wealth? Let me, let me define this for you. Most of us are trying to get rich in this culture. What is how do, This is my definition of getting rich. Rich is everything I can have that I can spend on myself. That's being rich. 
mean, they have shows about it, right? Lifestyles of the rich and famous. Why? Because they're lavishing all of it back upon themselves. And that's what demonstrates rich. The Bible says he wants to give us the ability to get wealth. Here's the definition of wealth. Wealth is more than you could possibly spend on yourself. Wealth is everything you have above what your need really is. Now, your needs can be very small, and you can have just a little bit more. That becomes your wealth. And God wants to give his people wealth. Now, hang on. I'm not going for the big prosperity doctrine here, and everybody's going to get rich and be famous Christians. That's it's not where I'm going. I'm saying that the Bible says, remember the Lord your God is he that gives you the power to get wealth. It gives you more than you need for yourself. And it's for a purpose. Not so that you can take the extra and spend it on yourself. It's because with wealth comes responsibility. And the responsibility is to take care of the poor. You never get any amens on that. Don't worry about it, Pastor Jeff. They'll catch it in a second. You know, I'm supposed to do what? Proverbs 21.13 says, Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Chapter 22. It doesn't take long in the Proverbs to find some supportive information on this. Proverbs 22.1 and 2. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Verse 9. He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. Chapter 29. Verse 7. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. It's knowledge from God to consider the condition of the poor it's insight there are plenty of other scriptures one says if you lend to the poor you lend to the lord and he'll make sure you get paid back they can't pay you back jesus said when you make a dinner who do you invite don't invite all the people that can invite you back to dinner invite the ones that could never invite you back to dinner hello Jesus in Matthew, I believe it was, quoting from the Old Testament, said, you're going to have the poor with you always. I'm not going to be here forever with you, but you're going to have the poor with you always. What is he telling us? There's a responsibility in culture and in society for us, the wealthy, those that have more than they need, not to take it for themselves and lavish it upon ourselves, but remember the Lord our God who gave us the power to get that wealth and then understand that his eye is on the poor. This has been in the scriptures for a long time. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Deuteronomy. Just kidding. How do you really help the poor? Have you ever wondered how to help the poor? Or have you tried to help the poor and wondered if you were really helping? Hmm? Helping the poor does not mean handing them something for nothing. And I, uh, I'll share this with you. Mark Johnson and Jan Lee, Forerunner Ministries, live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
we were talking one time, and, he's, and, and I gave somebody this advice just in the last couple of months. They were in great need. They needed medical attention. They needed financial help. They, they needed everything. And I said, do you need to live in California? And they said, no. I said, then move to Minneapolis. What? I said, move to Minnesota. Minnesota is a welfare state. In the city of Minneapolis, there's an eight-square-block area that inside of eight square blocks, there are more than 450 welfare agencies. It's incredible. Mark was telling me about this gal that was in Florida. Had got, you know, her life was destroyed by a, by a hurricane. She had nothing. And she moved to Minneapolis. Within two weeks, she had an apartment. And the things I'm going to say were all paid for out of this eight square block area. She had an apartment. She had food. All her utilities paid. She had brand new furniture including all the stuff she needed for her little ones, including car seats and cribs. She not only had food in her cupboards, but she had more things to go get food with. She had any pass she needed to travel within the city on, on the public transportation system. cost her nothing. It was all handed to her. Now, I can rejoice for her that that system was available for her, but it wasn't available in Florida, and it's really not available in California. And I told this couple, I said, if you don't need to live here and you need all those things, then go to Minnesota. Because there, in fact, I was at Mark and Jan Lee's house, and they said, here, sit in this chair. You know, they had sparse furniture, and they, but this one great big chair with the guys like, you know, you, kind of like a marshmallow. And you sit in, you pull the handle, it goes back, and does all that, you know. He said, here, sit here, here. And I thought, no, I don't want to take the best seat in the house. He said, no, sit. This is the governor's chair. I said, well, I'm not the governor. He said, no, it's not what we mean. Jesse Ventura was the governor of Minnesota at the time. He said, we had so much money left over last year that he just sent a check out to everybody. We bought this chair with a check from the governor. We call it the governor's chair. My mind just went, just racked. I thought, everybody in the state got a check. We just went through this recently too, right? Um, nationally. But that, does that help us? Look at what the scriptures design in Exodus 24, verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. You'll find this also in Leviticus, chapter 19, in the book of the law. What's he saying? He's saying you don't help the poor by going out and harvesting everything and then handing it to them. You help them. By taking your harvest and leaving the edges. And then the poor have opportunity to let the creative side of who they are in God. They're built in God's image too. They need an outlet to come and to partake of work and working with their own hands and finding own self-esteem and gathering and meeting their own needs and becoming a giver themselves. By just handing stuff out, we sit down. I mean, if somebody was just to hand everything I needed to me today, I wouldn't have to get up and work. I would just sit down, and all the creative side of who God made me to be would never be used. Do you see what I'm saying? 
And, and we're coming into a condition in our, in our country where we're, we may be in danger of some of these things. And there's going to be an anti-biblical worldview. And I'm not going political on you here this morning. I'm just saying we have to be careful. There is an opposing worldview that will say, let's just take care of everybody, have everybody all the same. Let's just give everything away. Take from the rich. Give to the poor. Don't let them have, they don't have to do anything for it. We just sign up and we'll give it to you. We're not helping anybody when we do that. We're actually debasing our nation or a culture. If we do it that way, let me give you a story off the Truth Project. I'll steal this from Del Tackett, a man who had read this and said, but Lord, I don't have any fields. I build tables for a living. I have a factory. We build tables. God, I don't have any grapes. I don't have any. Well, how do I accomplish this part? I want to be involved in helping the poor. I want to be mindful of you as you're mindful of the poor, the stranger, the fatherless, the widow. How do I participate? And God said, what's that on your floor there in your, in your uh, factory area? He says, well, it's sawdust. What do you do with it? So, well, we sweep it up and we bag it and we take it over to this other place and we, and we make a little extra profit off the sawdust because this other company uses it. He said, why don't you let the poor come in and sweep up your gleanings? He thought, of course. Those are my grapes. And so he went out to where those who needed work would gather and look for work and be available to the public. And he said to them, listen, here's the deal. Every day at 5, my factory is going to remain open. It closes down. But you guys, if you want, you bring your boxes or your bags or whatever you can get, or if I can help supply that, I'll do that. But you can come and you can sweep up all my factory floors and you can have all the sawdust and you can go down and sell it and you can make a living out of this. Here at the church, we've practiced this because people stop by churches all the time looking for handouts. They think that's why we're here. (laughs) Truly, it happens. You know, they're they're the generous people. They're the good people. They're the kind people, and they come in and they say, "Listen, we, you know, my my rent's due, or my," and we don't run them off with a stick or something. You know, (laughs) but what we used to practice is the shovel in the corner. They come in and say, "I need help. I need this much money for gas. I got to make it to the doctor, whatever it is." Say, "Boy, that is so. This is such good timing for you to stop by." Here's this shovel. I need my parking lot cleared. Or I need a ditch from here to there. i got to put a line in. and I, I didn't have anybody to dig it. You're out of work. I need a worker. I've got a shovel. You're here. Here's a pair of gloves. By the end of the day, you can have what you need and I'll have what I need. And we'll both go home feeling better about the day. What do you say? Is that a good idea? How many of them do you think take the shovel? Not enough. If they have a little bit of gas to make it to the next church, they're on their way. It's a sad story because we've built an anti-scriptural worldview that says somebody ought to just hand it to me when I need it. I like the shovel in the corner idea myself. Why? Because the guy or the girl that will take the handle of that shovel and work hard in my situation, the little one I'm describing, is going to get a lot more at the end of the day than what we bargained for. Wouldn't you do it? You'd, you'd sit them down at the end of the day and say, listen, you know, I, I only pay you six or seven bucks an hour or whatever it is for the day. And they go out and they work real hard all day and, and to get their hands on that little bit of money. You'd, you'd up the ante, wouldn't you? You'd say, listen, sit down before you go. What is it you really need? Well, I have three kids and we're out of diapers and food and this little bit's going to get us the food. So, well, let's go get the diapers too. Or how much more do you need? Or, let's go to the store together. You're not just giving it away. You're giving them the opportunity to let God move through them and produce and learn. Now, if you and I were to take this truly to heart and say, wow, this is it. 
When I go to work, don't hold me back. I'm going to lay it out. I'm going to do it good. I'm going to glorify God. I'm going to sign SDG on the end of every day this week. Why would we need a seventh day rest? Why did God rest on the seventh day? Ever think about these things? We need to stimulate our thought. Why? Because when you're that good, it would be hard to take a day off. Amen? I mean, if you, were, if you had this kind of thing going on, you were just so creative and things were going, we have to knock you in the head to get you to take a day off. You would work yourself into the ground. And God said, I know that about you. I'm putting me in you. And I want you to know I rested and you need rest too. And there's been lots of studies done on this that truly in the work world, if you, uh, even they did it with horses, I think it was in England, they decided to have 10-day work weeks. And uh, everybody was getting sick and the horses couldn't keep up and they thought we'd work 10 days and take the day off and then work 10 days. Nobody could do it. They said, well, we're anti-biblical here. We're going against what God said. You give somebody a day off, let them replenish, let them get rested up. Give you that time to stimulate your thoughts about how to be creative next time. But you need, your little tool needs some rest. And so God said, this is how I do it. This is how you should do it. Nobody should be working seven days a week. It's not good for you. It's not healthy. There are times when we do it, of course. But we don't do it on a regular and extended basis. It's kind of nice to live in a, in a, in a country where we've worked it down to a 40-hour week for some. I don't know who they are, but probably not you. Working a 40-hour week. And we should pray for some of our friends and family in the body of Christ that don't even have a 20-hour week right now. That God will bless them with openings and to release their creativity. And in what little bit they have, it'll expand. Well, it's warm in here. And you're cozy. And some of you are taking advantage of it. (laughs) So let me be done. I'm sure you would let me. Wealth is a responsibility. When you have more than you need, you're a steward of what God has given you. And one of the greatest pictures in the New Testament is the story of the Good Samaritan. Here's a guy that didn't know the other guy, but the other guy had a need. And out of the abundance and the wealth that he had, he took care of the guy, put him on his own animal, took him to the motel, and put him there and paid the innkeeper out of his own money. Still, as far as I know, the guy might have still been unconscious. Never even introduced themselves yet. He said, listen, take care of him. And if when I get back, you've had to spend more on him, I'll take care of that bill when I get here. Strangers. Jesus said, who, who was the neighbor in the story? Who was neighbor to the man? The beginning of the story, the guy was asking, who's my neighbor? Jesus, if I have to love my neighbor like myself, then I want to know who my neighbor is. What he was saying is, I want to draw a circle around a group of people and only have to love the ones inside the circle. And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story a different way. As Jesus could do, the master teacher. He says, now, at the end of this story, who was neighbor to him? Not who's your neighbor, who are you the neighbor to? And Jesus kicked the doors wide open and said, it's everybody. You can be kind to everybody, and out of the abundance that you have, you can share may not be a lot, but you could move somebody else along, couldn't you? You could bless the poor. You could find a way to get a shovel in the corner at your house. You could build something, create something. You might even be able to derive benefit. You might find your next best employee by lending him the shovel handle. 
and being a blessing to the poor. It's a great responsibility we have, and we've unfortunately given it over to the government. The church is really the benevolent group in society, and we have released the responsibility of gaining wealth, letting our creativity and our work ethic be an astounding moment of a reflection of the glory of God, gaining wealth, and then helping others. Have you see it? Can you see it? Is it dim for you? Is it even clear? I'll pray that it'll get clearer. Amen? And don't forget to rest. Second Corinthians chapter 6. You don't have to turn here. I just want to read this before we go. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And I could take this on two ways as we close. One is that we then as workers together with him plead with you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Put it to work. Let your creativity be exposed in your work. On the other hand, I would feel this morning that I, as a worker alongside of him, with the responsibility of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, would say to you today, in an acceptable time, God has heard you. And in the day of salvation, he has helped you. And today is the day of salvation. We should never put off the opportunity to become Christians to another day if we're not a Christian today. Does that make sense? Don't put it off. You know, Jesus is way beyond chapstick in American Express. You don't go out without him. Amen? I mean, I carry chapstick and I have an American Express card, but I got Jesus on top of all that. Amen? We don't go out without him. Let's pray. Father, today I thank you for a new view, a better look at our work. Lord, you're creative and you've made us to be the same. You've designed us like those two guys we read about in the, in the Old Testament with skill and ability. And you've made us who we are so that we can bring glory and honor to you. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you'll inspire us this week and that you'll open our eyes to see the moments in which it occurs. When that creativity happens and when you flow th- with your life through us. Help us to understand the responsibility of gaining wealth and remembering you in the process and then turning to help those who are in need and giving them a lift up with that responsibility. And Lord, those here this morning that may have yet to surrender their hearts to you, your word says today is the day of salvation. There's no promise of tomorrow. We don't know that we'll live another day. And so, Lord, I I speak to them now in your name, and I invite them, I invite you to give Jesus your heart, to understand that He, the one who made all things in six days, made you in his image and wants to love you. He has sent Jesus, his son, to demonstrate who he is and how much he loves you by stretching out his arms and dying on the cross, being buried but rising from the dead to show you that he has life eternal to give you as a gift. If you have not asked Christ into your heart, I invite you to pray this simple prayer. Between you and him, let me just coach you. Say to him, Lord Jesus, I give you my heart today. I may not understand 
all of what it means. But I need you to be my Savior. I realize you've made me in your image. And to this point in my life, I have not acknowledged you or glorified you through my life. In fact, I've been a sinner. I've lived away from you. I've lived against you. And for this, I repent. And I say that I'm sorry. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. Make me a new person. I want to live for you. I want to live with you. And I want you to live through me. I surrender and I thank you in your name. Amen. And Father, I would pray for anyone who asked you today to answer that prayer, that you would come today and make it so obvious and so real to them that you would release them from their sin, that you would release them from the bondage of their past, that you would uh, ignite them in faith, that you would give them a hunger to know you and relationships that would support that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as it says in the Good Samaritan, go thou and do likewise. (laughs) 